Welcome, friends, to The Flower of the Cedar, a novel in episodic podcast form. We are about to start the next chapter. Come, join us. Chapter 4 The Summer Mountain Beside Jan she sat, with the father and mother across the table. They gave her a tall oxhorn glass of water. She felt raw, still reeling with the glory of the blooms outside and hearing the child's lisping, Don't you know that's bad? One hand curled into a fist to press at her breastbone. Please do not take my daughter's words hardly, said Jan's mother. She is very young alive and still thinks it a matter of pride, as though it was she who birthed herself and revived her hearts. It comes of always knowing living parents and siblings, she added, touching Jan's hand in brief affection. She forgets the mercy. Lara understood nothing of this, but she nodded and gripped her cup. Jan's father glanced at her and leaned forward. Jan tells us you met on the road. Travelling from west of here. Again, Lara nodded. He looked at his wife, and their eyes carried out a quick conversation neither Lara nor Jan caught. He turned to Lara again. You are welcome with us, he said. But I sense you have need of leaving. Lara said, Yes, I need to leave, but I don't know where I go from here. I must find. I seek the summer. She was surprised at the gentleness of his smile when she said this. Please, she blurted, a question battling its way up her throat and out her mouth. How does your garden grow so rich if it has no soil? Jan stirred beside her as though impatient or worried. The question hung unanswered in the air for some time. Lara felt wild with waiting, the roses in the garden deep crimsons, blushing creams, full where she scraped empty. And she felt, too, an urgency as though these people before her could tell her the way into the summer if she asked the right questions, and her hearts would live. But her words would not work with her. She choked out, I had three hearts, and stopped, 
She looked pleadingly at Chan's mother. Yes, said the woman. You do. I know. Chan's impatience apparently shook her into speech. She faced Lara, earnest as she had been the night before. Lara, I'll come with you. I told them I meant to. I have to. That the messages I've been getting were about you. It won't hurt as much if I come. Not like it would if you were alone. She burst into tears. And Lara, startled, patted her shoulder mechanically. Messages? Come with her? Wouldn't hurt as much? I had three hearts, she murmured again. Jan's mother regarded her silently. The father leant forward once more and said, We want to help you, Lara. Then how do I get to the summer? He sighed, dragged a rough hand over his jaw. No telling of mine would take you there. There are many turnings, and recounting mine would not direct you in yours. Not enough. You must take them walking. Do you understand? She shook her head. He looked down into his own cup, at the water shimmering there, and spoke the words as though drawing them hand over hand from a well. One of the gods' stories tells of a young man, a stonemason, who sought the summer. He learned one of its ancient names, the Summer Mountain, where the god dwelt. And he asked each of his elders where he might find it. They told him he himself must set out on the journey, and they gave him provision for the way. But the world, in its wideness, overwhelmed his thought, and in fear he refused to leave his home. So he found a young calf from amongst his father's herd, and he killed it and cured its hide, and he brought this to each of his elders in turn, asking that they draw the world on it, so that he might follow its lines to the summer mountain. For a year and a day his elders refused, because they knew that the summer mountain had no roots in the earth. It was of the heavens, they told him, and tales told of its shadow in all lands. And so what would a world hide do for him but tie his eyes to it, so that he would not see the summer mountain when it rose? There the young man returned and returned, and would give them no rest, so that finally, from pity or foolishness or wisdom, one of his elders at last took a blunted branch from the cook-fire, and she began to draw the world in ash upon the hide. 
When the picture was finished, the young man, in great exhilaration, caught up his world hide and set out, bringing no provisions with him, for in his hesitation they had long since spoiled. He followed the lines of the world hide, day and night in all weathers, when the first rains threatened to blur the ashen markings, he laboured to craft a house of stone for it, that he might carry it on his back. He could not walk far or long when he bore it in this way, for it was of great weight, but he did not know how to shape any lighter materials, and he feared the rain. So he counted the cost a worthwhile one, and soon carried the world hide in its stone casket, even on fair days. As do all who travel in the world, the young man met with friend and with foe, with trouble, storm, and calm, new joy, and suffered much. Yet in all things he felt the reassuring weight of his world hide on his back, and he grew to love it with a surpassing passion, and would protect it by any means in his power. At last he woke one morning, knowing he was within a day's walk of the summer mountain, for his world hide told the distance and he knew it now even without looking, so often had he pored over its lines. He ate nothing that day, for his excitement was too great, and his steps carried him nearer and nearer his goal. When evening fell, his heart fell with it, low and fearful and heavy. For he had come into a wide plain, and the sun was nearing the horizon, and he could see round him for leagues on leagues, and the earth did not so much as swell beneath his feet, nor within his sight. And his world hide told him that he should have come upon the summer mountain already. His legs bent beneath him, and he sank to the earth. Night came, and the man did not move. The casket of stone lay beside him in the dust. When the morning dawned, he had wept and been silent, and finally had risen to his feet. He was a young man no longer, and he was hungry and weary, and a long way from home, and he knew that he must now start his journey. In the quiet after the father's story, Lara found that Jan had taken her hand. 
The touch warmed her, even as the tale left her in unknowing. We would tell you if we could, Jan said softly. And she spoke as though singing, The ways abound, yet gish the same, for summer calls them all. And by it shall he bring you in, who heed the unknown call. Jan's mother nodded. She took up the chant with familiarity. Nor hand of friend, nor hand of foe, may give you hide or stone. And lonely strength shall sup with you, for you must go alone. Yet clasp both foe and friends, my child, whose hands shall guide you home, and weakness too shall bed with you, for none can come alone. She broke off, watching Lara, sensing the confusion in her. We think it good that Jan should accompany you, she said, taking her husband's hand. She knows, Summer. She may be a comfort to you, but more, she has received messages that this is the way she must take. We were only surprised that it meant you. Messages? The mother looked at her, seeming sorrowful. You have heard of the god of these lands, she said. When Lara nodded, she continued, His name is not cast far abroad, and this is yet another thing you may seek on your journey, but he writes to us not solely, but as a precious one of many, and some of the messages to Jan. Lara wondered if perhaps she were going mad, or was just slower in the head than usual. She repeated, Messages to Jan. In poetry, on my rosebush leaves. Sometimes they come in the flowers, but um, this matters little to you. The main is that Jan knew some weeks back that she would need to leave. Her meeting you on the road, we did not expect. We thought... We thought the words meant someone else. And do you know what will happen then? No, said Jan's father, and he sounded, she realized, as though he were holding in laughter of the gladdest kind. No, we do not know. But if you knew him, you would feel that of no importance. He leaned over and suddenly kissed his wife on the cheek. They left two days later, Lara's mind full of questions. She glanced sideways at Jan, often searching for words to clothe her questions, eventually turning aside all those her mind suggested. The summer mountain? The god of the land? Poetry on rosebush leaves and messages about her?
What god knew aught of her? She thought of the old peddler woman's descriptions of him and the shadowed imaginations she herself had constructed in the corners. She could not connect the dull, grey, heavy form with those creamy blooms tossing in their sunbeams. She rolled her left shoulder against the strap of her pack. She had woken to a dull ache in it and supposed she must have slept badly on its muscles. Their departure that morning had been silent, grave, dry of tears and smiles both. Ada and Ayma themselves had lowered the two girls to the ground below, hand over patient hand, their faces growing more distant as they paid out the rope. Curving round the corner of the silent house, new tendrils of a rich green vine nodded at the retreating girls' figures. As they vanished from view, between the thick leaves shone sudden ruby flowers, bells that dripped down like a heart broken. And now she must begin to walk. The injustice of her situation struck her. She felt the stirrings of anger against... Whom? Surely not the family that had just given up their daughter to her as a companion on the road. But yes, she felt anger towards them, towards Jan's riddling parents, who would not tell her where the summer lay, plying her instead with troubling, mythic images. Toward Jan herself, whose broken, nonsensical sentences she ought to have known Lara could not understand. And she felt anger towards the unnamed god of the land, whose rose-bush messages never came to her to explain anything. What did they all expect of her? Why would no one give her straight answer? She noticed her hands had clenched and her teeth ground together as she thought these things. With a shake of her head, she released the tense muscles. Her shoulder gave a pang and turned to Jan. Well, we're past the city, but I don't know where we're going, and if you do, you're not saying anything, so what do you propose? Should I spin in circles and we'll take the road my finger points down? Or should we just keep walking north until we fall off the edge of the world? Jan looked back at her. Her smile seemed dim and sad. The road from the city goes some way before forking. Well then, Lara strode forward with never a word more. Jan followed. Their journey that day was very silent. Lara, caught as she was in her own thoughts, paid Jan little heed and did not notice the new droop to the girl's unusually brisk walk. Jan did not look behind her as they went. After they had walked into the moonlight and the day's death, they found a copse a little ways from the road, 
and made scanty camp. Both of their dreams were troubled. Jan's cheer returned after a few days of the same silent walking had passed. Lara could not understand it. Her own heaviness of spirits seemed enough to keep the world in mourning. Yet here her companion's quick smiles flashed from side to side as she watched the movements and colours of the land through which they walked. They saw no one on the road or off it. Lara herself found her anger increase in strength as they travelled, as each morning came bringing no revelation to her of where it is she went. She remembered the stolen words from the book in her mother's garden that day, but even it refused her answer. But this is a mystery, they ran. Riddles and mysteries and half-veiled responses. Still her questions spurred her on. Tell me of your mother, Jan said to Lara during their midday rest and meal. They sat loose beneath a beech tree, heads back against its trunk, relaxed, watching the sky. My mother, why? You've met mine. I thought to meet yours a little. Lara pushed her head against the tree and sat up. You can't meet her. She's off tending her garden and we're here following a road to nowhere. She has a garden? Yes, Lara said shortly. Thought of her mother did nothing to improve her mood. At least Jan's Emma had answered her questions in riddles. Her own mother never acknowledged her questions, much less attempted answer. What does she grow? Oh... Herbs for her cooking, tomatoes, roots, weeds, some flowers. What else do you grow in a garden? Sometimes I think, said Jan, her head still leaning languid against the tree, a person's garden says a lot about them. Seeds in the thousands. And which do you pick? Flowers for the brightening of your windows and the ease of guests. Herbs for cooking, you said. And vegetables and fruits beyond count. Your mother must have cared for you well, to grow your food for you. Lara made an impatient movement with her hand against her skirt. She fed us, I suppose. No small thing, said Jan. I tried sometimes making meals at home. You should have seen my burnt glories. (laughs) We fed them to the cat. She laughed, and for some reason Lara felt irritated. There was nothing special about my mother, she said angrily. I don't see why you're so keen to know about her. She never told me. She never... I had to sneak the book out that finally gave me some shred of an answer about my hearts. You think I care about meat pies when she was holding that from me? What book? Jan asked, not moving. From my father's shelf. It said that to wake and feed a heart, I have to find the summer. 
didn't say what summer, or where, or how I'd find it. But it's the most anyone's told me in my whole blasted life in reams more than my parents ever bothered to mention. Her voice rose, and Jan sat up. Lara, she said. She started to say something further, checked herself, and amended. I'm glad you found that book. If you hadn't, I didn't suppose Pollux would ever have banged you with his bum, and then where would we be? Lara turned her head into Jan's wide smile, and she felt her muscles loosen. A sudden thought humbled her. You, at least, would be home safe with your family, Jan. Carrying your little siblings on your shoulders and eating your mother's yams. She saw in Jan's eyes this same thought, soon replaced with something she could not name. Well, not here, she said finally, feebly. The two girls lapsed into silence for a space, shadows of thinning leaves dappling their cheeks. A wind shook the branches of the beach, and the pale sunlight flashed among them. Something in Lara's breast gave a tiny, sluggish lurch. She tried to turn to Jan and say some manner of stumbling, Thank you, for her company, for her willingness to leave her home. Well... Jan said suddenly, standing up and looping her pack over her shoulders again. We still have far to go. Suppose we should be off. She thrust a hand to Lara to help her up, grinning. Lara took it, and they started down the barren road, away from the swift-dropping sun. The Flower of the Cedar is written, produced, and published by me, Kay Benavraham. This content is made possible by the support of my patrons on Patreon, who make monthly pledges they can increase, decrease, or cancel at any time. If you are enjoying listening, please consider supporting my work on Patreon. Even a dollar a month makes a great difference to a struggling author. For those of you wishing to support this work in non-monetary fashion, you can tell a friend about the podcast or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help ratings rise so that other people can find it. Thank you so much. <laughs>